I solemnly swear that I will faithfully, diligently, and impartially execute and perform the duties required of me as a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and will well and truly obey and perform all lawful orders and instructions which I shall receive as such without fear, favor, or affection of or towards any person. So help me God. the first time, authentic stories of the world-famous Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Tales of men who for almost a hundred years have helped to keep peace in Canada. The Queen's Men. stories of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Names have been changed for family protection. And now transcribe The Queen's Men. Date was May the 25th. I sat in the corridor, third floor, Royal Victoria Hospital, Montreal, with Mrs. Henry McMahon, wife of Constable McMahon of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. The waiting room on that floor was filled. The nurse had brought two chairs for us, Hard folding chairs, but it was better than standing. Mrs. McMahon thanked her and smiled, and we sat there together, waiting. Spring seems late this year. Yes. It does seem to be longer than usual getting here. Except for today. This was the first really warm day, when you felt the coldness was really gone. Yes. Where the sun was this afternoon. It was one of those days to really give Henry spring fever. Oh, he had it badly. Feel like telling me about it, Mrs. McMahon? There's nothing much to... I don't mind. Might as well talk until I can go in and chat with Henry. I was just thinking a minute ago, looking at the flowers. They look lonely and out of place, spread along the corridor like this, don't they? Well, they take them out of the rooms at night because of the... Yes, I know. There was an old lady selling flowers on Beaver Hall Hill this afternoon in the sunshine. Strange. She didn't seem to look out of place. The sun, I guess. And people didn't seem to be hurrying the way they usually do. We weren't hurrying. Henry was off duty, although he was wearing his uniform. The women all looked at him and then glanced at me. Their glances always seemed to say, what's it like to be married to a Mountie? And I'd like to tell them it means to be lonely sometimes, scared a lot of the time, proud of him when he's away, annoyed with him sometimes when he's home because he won't take the storm windows down or help with the dishes. <laughs> yeah, my wife too. 
I guess all men are the same. Not very original. I told Henry that. He got talking about what we do when he retired. He talks the same way every spring. He seemed to mean it more this afternoon, though. Walking up the hill toward Dorchester. He went on about it. Oh, not a big place. Not what you'd call a farm. Five, ten acres. Twenty-five, maybe. Fifty at the most. Fifty doesn't sound like a backyard, exactly. Well, somewhere in there. Room for chicken houses and pasture for them. Is that what you call it for chickens? Pasture? <laughs> some farmer. I'll get some books. There are plenty of good books about how to raise chickens. With retirement just two years off, it's time to start making plans. Let's walk around to that bookstore across from Ogilvy. What's it called? Oh, I know the one you mean. Okay. We might pick up something on vegetables, too. We're branching out. And that makes me think of trees. What would you say to a few fruit trees? If you think you could grow fruit on them. I think I could. It'd be nice to see things grow. Doesn't the sun feel warm? Yeah. Feels great. Shall we go along Dorchester? All right. Wait for the light. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute, Doreen. What is it, Henry? Something's happening in that bank. Doreen, get in this doorway and stay here. Henry, have you got your gun? No. It's a Mountie. He's still in there, Mountie. The man inside the bank had been running around. I caught a glimpse of him through the plate glass window before I got into the doorway of the building next door. By the time the man started out the front door, the crowd had moved back, and Henry simply started toward him. I said, Henry, come on back. Leave him alone. Pretend it isn't happening. But I didn't say it out loud. Henry and the man seemed to go straight toward each other. And when I heard the three shots, I knew before Henry fell that it was the man who had fired. Because Henry didn't have a gun. Two of the shots just pierced his uniform, Mrs. McMahon. What about the third one? We've been here an hour. The doctor said he thought it would only take yes. about... Yes. Did the man, the bank robber, did he get any money? No. He panicked when the girl in the teller's cage screamed. He ran. Didn't get anything. It almost seems too bad, doesn't it? All for nothing. These chairs aren't very comfortable. I hadn't noticed. We waited another 40 minutes, and then the doctor came out of the room and asked to speak to me alone. He told me that Constable McMahon was dead from a bullet wound in the region of the heart. He seemed to think I could break the news more easily to Mrs. McMahon. He showed me the bullet. It was a 32. Then the doctor went out to the waiting room and told the men who were waiting, filling the room. They all went back to headquarters and I met them there later. None of us went to bed that night. We got to work. Any word from Dawson? Just a routine report, Sergeant. He started with the rooming houses in the Dorchester area, and his men have been covering the area to the south and west. 
Send out two more details and have them move north and east from that point. Uh, you, Carson, you'd better start on the hotels. Yes, Sergeant. Oh, here's the inspector. Good evening, Sergeant. Hello, Carson. Good, Good evening, evening, sir. How... How's Mrs. McMahon? She's with my wife. The doctor says she'll be better after she cries. Mm. Every time the door opens, I, I look. I keep waiting for him to walk in. He wanted to raise chickens. RCM Police, Sergeant Morton. Brunet of the city police, Sergeant. We've got a cab driver, and he says he picked up a fellow two blocks from the bank this afternoon and drove him to the Charlemagne Bridge. Any reason to think his passenger was our man? Uh, the bank manager took a couple of shots at the fellow, didn't he? He shot, but he doesn't know if he hit him. Uh, the taxi has blood stains on the floor. We talked to the taxi driver, and from there I took some men down to the Charlemagne Bridge area. The time was 10.30 p.m. It was raining. Not many people around, but a steady stream of traffic over the bridge. The area was run down. A few old rooming houses, a couple of factories, a string of unprosperous-looking stores. One of them, a drugstore, was open. Constable Carson and I went inside while the rest began on the rooming houses. Oh, boy. Good to get in out of that rain. I'll be with you in a minute. Just finishing a prescription. All right. Oh, my shoes are soaked. My wife's going to kill me. Look at this. Eight flavors of perfume, all done up, dollar and a half. Catch eight different men for a buck and a half. Not bad. You have to catch them quick. Looks like three drops in each bottle. Yes, gentlemen, may I... Oh. Good evening, officer. Good evening. I'm Inspector Gleason, our CMP. This is Constable Carson. How do you do, Constable? Hello. I uh, heard about that Monty was shot this afternoon. A terrible thing. How is he? He's dead. Dead, Yes, you fellows are pretty sore. We think the man took a taxi to this area immediately after the shooting. We have reason to believe he was shot, although not seriously enough to prevent him from traveling around. And he could have come into this drugstore. And will you try to think back from 2.30 this afternoon on, try to recall what men you may have served? I wait on a lot of people in a day. Sometimes two or three at once. <clears throat> Let me see. Um... There was a fellow bought some bath salts, I remember. Bath salts? They were for his girl. She was blonde, he said. He wanted bath salts that would suit a blonde. I don't think that's the man. Who else? Then, well, there was the fellow... Uh... Oh, no, 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 that was Herbie Gostick from the bottle factory up the street. Uh, Herbie wouldn't shoot anybody anyway. Oh, I, I, I sold some gauze bandage and disinfectant to somebody... Now, was that a man, or was it a woman? Which was it? Uh, it was a man, I remember now. What time was that? Oh, sometime today. I didn't notice the time. I, I don't keep track of time very well. Sometime today, though. Uh, he, he was a big fellow. Oh, real big. Uh, that comes back to me because he bumped against one of my displays and knocked it over. Seemed in a hurry. Didn't start to pick it up or anything. A rude kind of man. Did you notice which direction he turned when he left? No, oh, I had my head down picking up the display sign. Would you recognize the man if you saw him again? Oh, sure thing, Inspector. I'd recognize him anywhere. He gave us a description. Well-intentioned, but obviously made up on the spot. People do that. They believe it. 
As we left, he gave us each a candy bar and asked if we'd get him a mention for his drugstore in the newspaper. Further investigation indicated that the killer may have washed and dressed his wound on the shore of the Lachenay River just down the hill from the store. And here the trail ended, despite an intensive search of the entire Montreal area. No detailed information was available to us. The trail was cold. The usual false leads poured in. We followed up everything. We got nothing. But on June the 3rd, a break came. Following a routine check of hotels, Constable Carson discovered a bit of routine information from the manager of the Rawlings Hotel on Windsor Street. The key arrived in the mail just this morning, officer. May I see it, please? Uh, certainly, here it is. Key to room 128. We didn't think we'd see it again. Lots of people walk off with keys, you know. You'll want the letter, too, I guess. Yes, I will. Excuse me a minute. Uh, Miss Marsh, will you locate the letter from the man in Hornpane, Ontario, the letter that arrived this morning with the key to 128? As soon as you can. The letter doesn't say anything, really, just that this man found the key in a garbage can at the CNR station at Hornpane. He uh, just sent it along to us. You know, some people are thoughtful that way. You uh, notice thoughtfulness when you run a hotel. Yes, I expect so. Someone took a soap dish off the wall in one of our bathrooms yesterday. They'd walk out with the bathtubs if they weren't too heavy. Can you let me know when the key to room 128 disappeared? Uh, yes. Uh, the room was occupied by a man called uh, Loring. He stayed eight days and uh, disappeared on May 25th. May 25th. When he didn't show up, we uh, put his things in storage. May I have a look at them? Uh, surely. Uh, come along. We'll pick up the letter in the outer office. I hope we can find what you're after. The resident of room 128 had disappeared on May the 25th. May the 25th was the day of the killing. Perhaps we weren't at the end of the trail after all. In just a moment, we'll return for the second part of this true story of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, The Queen's Men. And now we return you to The Queen's Men. The information received from the manager of the Rawlings Hotel was routine, but was destined to have important results. Constable Carson began by inspecting the belongings of the man who had disappeared from room 128 the day of the killing. Among the belongings was a trench coat which was identified by several witnesses as similar to one they'd seen before on a man who had been responsible for several armed robberies in Montreal during the previous months. From these witnesses, we got a description. It tallied with that given by the hotel employees, who remembered Loring as a man weighing approximately 200 pounds, about 40 years of age, and over six feet in height. Loring seemed to be our man, and he was moving west. We forwarded the description to the CNR police at Hornpain. Investigations began from there and points west. Ten days later, a CPR policeman at Moose Jaw arrived back at his station late one night with the following report. It was a freight train loaded with army trucks ready to pull out of the station. I was giving it a routine check and I found a man in the last car. I questioned him and he pulled out a gun. He said, get down and stay down or I'll plug you. He kept me covered until the train pulled out and while it was pulling out. What'd he look like? Big. Might be Loring. Pete... Alert everyone in the area. Send out a description of Loring. Have it broadcast every half hour. Right. We'd better have the train search too, Sergeant, at the next stop. That gun looked real. The train was searched with no results. 
The man had jumped off somewhere along the way. The search became general again and spread to the southern part of the Prairie Provinces. Airplanes and police dogs were used. It now appeared that the fugitive was heading for the international border. We notified the officials at all likely border points, as well as sheriff's offices and members of the Montana State Highway Patrol. On June 17th, a local resident walked into the RCMP detachment at Big Beaver, Saskatchewan. Sergeant Reynolds was at the desk. It was two o'clock in the afternoon. Are you in charge here, officer? Anything I can do for you? Well, I don't know. My name's Ned Hawkins. I have a dry goods store down on Barton Street near the tracks. Well, a fellow came in my place a little while ago and bought a pair of socks. Maybe I'm just wasting your time. I don't know. You Mounties are busy people, so I don't want to waste your time. You're not wasting my time. Carry on. Sit down. Thanks. Well, this fellow struck me as kind of funny. Not that he looked funny especially, but he asked for a pair of socks. You see, and I said, what size? And he said, 12. And then I said, what color? That's what I always ask. Mm -hmm. And he said, any color. Well, that struck me kind of funny. Most fellows care what color socks they get. Well, uh, what else did you notice about him, Mr. Harkins? Oh, he was limping a lot. I noticed that. It looked like it hurt him to walk. After he left, I watched him while he walked down the tracks. After he'd gone away, he sat down and put on the new socks and threw his old socks away. That's a funny thing to do. You men's socks, you don't throw them away. So the more I thought about it, the more I thought I'd come over here and mention it to you. <laughs> I've always wanted to see what this place looks like inside anyways. Now, if I'm just wasting your time at all... What just... did the man look like? Oh, mm, he was a real good-sized fellow. I'm not so little myself, and I had to look up to him. He was kind of seedy-looking, too, uh, like a bachelor. All rumpled. You know what I mean. The description tallied. Our man was by now within walking distance of the international border, heading for Montana. A patrol was sent out immediately with police service dog Powell, who succeeded in picking up the fugitive's trail. Sergeant Reynolds received the reports as they came in. Power 36 reporting to Big Beaver Detachment. Sergeant Reynolds, Big Beaver. Go ahead, 36. We just located the spot where Loring may have eaten. Clump of woods three miles from Big Beaver Railroad Station. He left behind a bandage. Al's getting excited. Sorry, Sergeant. We ran into heavy traffic and lost the trail. Okay, 36. Proceed to Highway 11, two miles north of Border Station. A report just received of a transient in that area. Walks with a limp, carries a small paper parcel. We'll proceed immediately, Sergeant. And get pals some supper on the way. Car 36 reporting from Highway 11, Sergeant. No luck. The surrounding territory is rugged and passable. Suggest we abandon the ground search for the night. RCMP aircraft had been scanning the area. At daybreak on June 17th, more aircraft joined the search and the ground patrols were increased. It was believed that the fugitive may have crossed the border into Montana during the night. Sheriffs in Scobie and Plentywood, Montana were alerted, as well as the state highway patrol. All citizens in the area were kept notified by means of the local radio stations. The fateful day was June 17th, the time just before noon. The place, the railway yard at Scobie, Montana. 
Hey, Charlie. Yeah? Just glance over there. That fella crawling out from under the loading platform. Funny place to be. Hefty fellow. Think we should amble over and have a word with him? Why not? Hey! You! Now, that's funny. Why do you suppose he took off like that? Then what'd he do? He started up toward town, Sheriff. He couldn't move so very fast, he's kind of limp. So we just ambled along after him. Mm Mm-hmm. Then what? Up on Main Street, he bummed a quarter off Jake Emery and asked directions to the highway. So we just come over here in case you might be interested. I'm interested, all right. You boys are going to get a medal. No kidding. Attention all cars. Attention all cars. Proceed to Highway 13. Fugitive Loring believed heading south on Highway 13. Set up roadblocks. Stop all cars. Warn all motorists not to pick this man up. Observation will be maintained over the highway by RCMP aircraft. Stop all cars. Warn motorists not to pick this man up. Attention all cars. Scarlet Flamingo to base. Scarlet Flamingo to base. Come in, Scarlet Flamingo. I see him, Sarge. I'm right over him. He's trying to thumb a lift on the straight stretch two miles past the railroad crossing. Can't be more than three miles out of town. Over. Scarlet Flamingo, keep him in view. Keep circling. Over. Is your name Loring? No. Well, you better get in anyway. You're under arrest. What for? You know what for. Come on, get in. You must be tired of walking. The suspect later gave his name as Matthew Rayner. He was found to be suffering from a bullet wound in his left thigh. His clothes were badly stained with blood. And a fully loaded 32 automatic pistol was found in his possession. Rayner was turned over to the U.S. immigration authorities in Scobie, Montana. And the following day, June 18th, was deported and handed over to the members of the RCMP at Big Beaver, Saskatchewan. The prisoner was given the usual statutory warning after being informed that he was arrested for the murder of Constable Henry McMahon at Montreal. You're taking me to Montreal? That's right. How are we going? Drive to Regina. Take the train from there. My leg hurts. Doctor's on his way. I guess it's been uh, hurting quite a bit the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I've been getting worse. A couple of nights out in the rain, played the devil with it. What's your pal doing, writing down everything I say? Uh-huh. Now, don't waste your time, Marty. I'm not going to say anything important. I've got lots of time. Now, what are you all standing around for? Think I'm going to make a break for it? Not with this leg, I'm not. Why don't you all relax? Are you afraid you'll crumple your pretty uniforms? What did that railroad cop at Moose Jaw say? I bet he was plenty scared. What did he say? He wasn't so scared. Uh, I didn't think he'd brag about having a gun pulled on him. Who shot you? I don't know. Must have been that bank manager. He started it. I pulled a lot of stick-ups, but I never had to do any shooting before. 
I'm tired. Never slept more than an hour at a time since that uh, Monty. McMahon, that his name? Yeah. Yeah, McMahon. I saw it in the newspaper someplace. They had a picture somebody drew of me. What they thought I looked like was lousy. This McMahon, you know him? Yeah, I know. All the way from Montreal? We trained together. I knew him, I knew his wife, and his kids. I didn't mean to kill him. Think that'll help? He didn't mean to die, either. He didn't mean to walk towards you with his hands hanging empty and die. He just did it without thinking. Well, I did it without thinking, too. Think that'll help? Some men act one way without thinking. And other men act another way. You want a cup of coffee? On June 19th, scarcely 48 hours after the murderer had been walking the roads of another country with freedom in sight, Rayner was arraigned and was remanded without plea. Three days later, he was handed over to the Montreal City Police for trial on the charge of murder. On June 26th, Rayner was placed in an identification lineup and was identified by 17 witnesses of the holdup of the Bank of Toronto. The trial was September 12th, and Rayner's only defense was that he had not meant to do it. After a short deliberation, the jury returned a verdict of guilty, and Mr. Justice Baudouin pronounced the sentence of death. The night before the sentence was carried out, on the evening of December 14th, the prisoner said to one of his guards, I guess those Mounties are satisfied now. They're even. We weren't satisfied, and nothing was even. You don't get a life back by taking another one. I'm sorry Rayner had to go to his death, thinking it an act of spite and revenge. Constable Henry McMahon, had he been here, might have tried to explain it to him. He might have brought him a little understanding. He would have tried. He might have made it easier. I often think about him. How he wanted to raise chickens and maybe have a few fruit trees. stories of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Music under the direction of Sidney Torch. Script and adaptation under the supervision of John Adaskin. Produced and directed by Harry Allen Towers.